nights in white satin Never reaching the end Letters I've written Never meaning to send Beauty at all What do you want from me? It's almost time to come home, Angel. Is she ready? Soon. Cause I love you. After completing his work on 2007's Halloween remake, writer and director Rob Zombie had initially sworn off making another film in the series. Citing numerous reasons, such as a chaotic time on set, as well as constant mistrust from the Weinsteins, Zombie said he was done with Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. However, Miramax was not finished, and, of course, a sequel to Zombie's reimagining of the series quickly started to develop. Though others were attached to direct at first, Zombie's time away from the director's chair cleared his mind and he agreed to come back one more time, thinking the second time would be easier. It wasn't, but Rob Zombie did end up making a movie that felt like even more of a departure from the series that had inspired it. Zombie's follow-up focused on the fallout from his first trip to Haddonfield, and specifically, it looked at the effects that Michael's rampage had on the few characters who had survived. It was a movie that seemingly dropped all pretenses of being a remake or a reboot, and instead felt like a Rob Zombie movie through and through. Was this approach a good one? With the handcuffs of living up to the original Halloween off, was Zombie's second entry in the Halloween series any better than his first? Find out tonight as we discuss 2009's Halloween 2 here on The Last Theater. Welcome to episode 10 of our ongoing Halloween franchise retrospective. We are almost at the finish line, but we have one more hump to get over, one more hurdle, if you will. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. My name is Chris. My name is Joey. And of course, if this is your first episode, as always, cnjradio.com is where you can find the rest of these Halloween franchise reviews, retrospectives, and of course the Friday retrospective and the other episodes we've done, and the solo episodes that I've done on there as well. Um, more to come on that later, but let's just dive into it tonight. I said at the end of the last episode that upon my initial viewing of Halloween 2 in theaters, which I did see it in the theater, I don't wow. think you did. No, I did not. Yeah, you had said I that on the last back. episode. Yeah. I hated this movie, <laughs> and I don't often say that. You don't hear me say that about movies often. Yeah. I usually try to find the positives in them. You've worked on a few sets before in your time, Chris, yeah. and you're respectful of the journey. Yeah. Uh, I, I've done one. One yeah. and a half. Yeah. So I try to be respectful of the journey as well. Right. But yeah, when you say that, it really uh-huh. holds a lot of water with me, and I'm not sure. just kissing up to you, Chris. Sure. I have no reason to. I mean, that says a lot to me. <laughs> I mean, that's that's weighty. Yeah. So let's get into as to why you hated this movie so much. So initially, why the thing that always sprang to mind, and since I'd only seen it once, my memory of it was kind of clouded by the fact that I disliked it so much and had such a bad time in the theater watching it that a lot of the specifics of the movie kind of fell away over the years since I, in the time span that I didn't watch it again. 
And the thing that I always jump back to was the white horse and the visions. And I just, I didn't, I didn't like it. I still don't like it. Did you like being told right off the bat what the white horse represents? I hated that a bunch. I still don't like that. It's, if you have to explain something before the movie even starts and you have to spell it out so much. It means they think you're stupid. Yeah. Don't talk down to me. And, but it's also like. There's no subtlety to that. And I'm not saying that slasher movies are always subtle. They rarely are subtle. But there's no artistry in that. And I know that I would say that Rob Zombie is an artist in ways. Like we said, he's visually a very strong visual creator. And his images, even in this movie, I really like the way this movie looks. I think it looks fantastic. It looks like a throwback, even more so than the first one to, like, the 70s era of, like, grindhouse exploitation stuff. Yeah, he, he shot on a different, uh, real, what, what do you call he it? said a Ratio. 16 millimeter, so different film stock. Yeah. Um, and so it did give it that grainy kind of look, especially the darker scenes. There's a lot of grain and stuff in it. Yeah, I think it supposedly parallels his first two films, mm-hmm. whereas Halloween 2007 was filmed on the same ratio that House of a Thousand Corpses was. So okay. It looks a lot more slick. Yeah. And then Devil's Rejects was done the same format that Halloween It just looks dirty and grimy. Yeah. And I like that. It, it makes sense, too, for the, the look of the movie. Yeah. So I think Rob Zombie has good ideas. The, but he has so many ideas, and he tries to throw them all in there, that some of them are going to hit, some yeah. of them aren't. So. And I actually, I'm going to tease this for a little later on. Once I really kind of hit the hate meter, like to a peak, <laughs> okay. I'm going to dial it down and give you a couple of positive things right. I have to say about this. My journey on it was... I refused to go see it in the theater. I didn't watch it once it got to DVD. Yeah. Uh, the Scream Factory box set is what... I don't, I don't want to say force my hand, because it's my decision at the end of the day. Yeah. When I watched them all in order, quote-unquote, I did not revisit 2007. I yeah. did not watch it until we just watched it recently uh-huh. here. But I did watch Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's right. Halloween 2, yeah. because I was curious, and I thought maybe time is going to heal this wound <laughs> that was in my heart so bad. I'm yeah. over-dramatizing this a little bit. A little but I'm bit. like, uh, for the reasons that you said up front at the yeah. top of the show, uh, it didn't have the original live up to anymore. Mm. And it would have been, I guess, pseudo-interesting if he had tried to remake the second one. The In the hospital? <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it didn't, you know, I could pretty much speak for probably 100% of the fan base, or at least 99% of it, is yeah. it's not sacred ground in the same way that yeah. the first one is. Yeah. Um, I initially was like kind of on board. My initial viewing, I was like, okay, are they remaking the second one? Because yeah. it, it, it starts, starts off mm-hmm. in the hospital. I'm like, okay, cool. you know. So I actually was, despite all of my hate to, yeah. to the first one, yeah. I gave this one the benefit of a doubt. I thought, okay, I'm watching it at home. You know, you, I, I think you do put your fist down a little bit watching it at home versus you do. driving out to the theater or purchasing a ticket. Yeah, it's investing. a different experience. Yeah. And I think you can sometimes absorb more. There's less emotion Especially something like for me and for you for the first one, going to the theater expecting something, but when you're watching something at home, it's already been out. You kind of know a little bit about it, maybe, and you don't really have like the lofty expectations a lot of times, and you can absorb more. I think. Did you do you remember doing the same thing to it, going to see it in the theater, the second one here? 
I well, because I didn't like the first one either right. of his. So you had low expectations. I had low expectations, but they still got undermined because of certain things in the movie. Right, man. Yeah, that that's real bad. Yeah, that's real bad. I don't think it's Texas Chainsaw Next Generation <laughs> New Beginning. No, bad. it's not. And I think I like you were saying you were over being a little over dramatic about it. I I was too. I think. And when I say I hate it, yeah, I felt that way because of certain things we'll get to, but. It's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Watching the director's... Yeah, that's a glowing recommendation, right? Looking... We watched the director's cut on this one because that's the version that's included in your box set. And I can't... I don't remember what the differences are necessarily throughout it. Watching it this time, partly maybe it was because there's more in the director's cut. There's probably quite a bit more. And knowing what to expect... I liked it more than I remembered disliking it previously. Mm-hmm. And there are large chunks of the movie that I'm like, yeah, this is kind of a cool Rob Zombie movie. It's not a Halloween movie. It's not even a Michael Myers movie, really, mm-hmm. when you get down to it. But as far as just a violent movie that makes you feel bad and dirty, yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. At times. Not, you, not all the time, but at times. Right. I almost feel like I should have given you a little bit of homework to do on this one especially. Okay. Because the question I really wanted to ask, and if you can name a few of these offhand, then great. Yeah. If not, I might have a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what did you not like about his first attempt, and what did he make worse about it on this second one? Did he double down on stuff that, I was like, oh, that's bad, but now that we're in the sequels, like, yeah. no, this is way worse. Like... Did he take bad things from that one and make it worse, or were there was there anything about it that made it better? And it could be certain characters, it could be plot points. Yeah. What well, do you do? You think that there's anything that? Well, first of all, let's start with the stuff you think that got worse. Stuff that got worse, I think, was so in his first attempt, it, half remake, half origin, whatever you want to call it, the first one, the 2007 Halloween, he tried to make it realistic and he made it psychological and took a deep dive into Michael's brain for better or worse we talked about probably more worse in the previous episode but in this one while that is still kind of there it's more of a mystical thing after a while and it has to be we'll get to the whole like plot scenarios where it has to be this mystical connection between brother and sister there's no way around it. And we yeah. there's that whole plot hole in the first one that we were talking about that that has to be a mystical thing too. Retroactively, looking back at it, it's like, that's the only way you can kind of explain it. So that does get one thing better than the last one did because your whole, the, the, the plot hole that yeah. you finally said, well, it, they at least expounded upon it and quote unquote explained it in this one. It's right? a better in a way, but also worse in a way because one of the things that as the... <laughs> original timeline one of the original timelines went on to that got more mystical about it was one of the things that made it worse and i think i agree with those sentiments in this one that i don't like that part of it i think it does make it worse and the weird irony that he made the second one grittier and i think made it grittier because of the look and everything and the locations and just yeah. everything about it i really like the location i do too like we're we're gonna t- this is where we talk positive it looks good the set the settings are yeah. really cool but making it even more realistic in ways but less realistic in the ways that are most important to the characters yeah. is so weird and i think that is the bad side of what i was saying about that um 
As far as things that got better, I liked the progression of the Brackett family. The Brad Dorf was fantastic in this oh, movie. Man. He was so, so good. As good as he was in the last one, yeah. he's that much better in this yeah. one. Like, he got better with the sequel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Annie, played by Danielle Harris, when I watched it in the theaters, I didn't like Annie in this movie. Right. I thought she was being a jerk. I don't know what was changed in the director's cut, so I couldn't tell you if my reaction was just because I didn't respond well to it or if there was stuff that made me feel differently. But watching it this time with the director's cut, I really like the Annie character, and I think she is one of the better characters, even though she doesn't really have a plot line, she doesn't have a character arc in this movie. Yeah. But her relationship and her spot in that family and the dynamic between her dad, Sheriff Brackett, and Annie, and then Laurie, who is going off the rails into insanity yeah. as the movie goes, yeah. I think that Annie character kind of grounds all of them, and that is one of the things I think got way better in this one, yeah. was the characterization of those two characters. And since you brought it up, I'll go ahead and expound on that. One of the things I did like about this movie mm. was that family dynamic, as yeah. you said. And not that Laurie's a family member, but now she is a surrogate you're yeah. part of the family because of this shit that happened. Uh, and and I, because Sheriff Brackett felt responsible for her because of what he did when <laughs> her mother committed suicide and he took her and, and all that. So yeah. he, he feels responsible for these two young women who he you can see the weight on him. And in this movie, he has, his hair is real long. Yeah. He looks older and weaker in this one. And he's so, he's so meek in this one. Yeah. Annie is... She's been ratcheted up from her experiences and dealing with Lori. She's kind of the in-between and she's taken the brunt of Lori's fury yeah. and she's kind of taken that on her, uh, out on her dad at times. And you can see that weight and what it's doing to him. Yeah. And it's, it's just, yeah, sorry, continue. No, no. Uh, so Annie, and, and uh, here's the thing. I'm going to talk about these things that mm. I can't relate to yeah. in real life. I'm glad I can't relate to it. First of all, right. so that's my disclaimer. Yeah. It appears to me, obviously, Annie is the mother of this unit. She yeah. has taken on the motherly responsibilities mm. in in mind and action. Right. Uh, she, who knows how long she's kind of been, quote unquote, looking after her dad. Because yeah. you don't, I, I don't recall seeing a mom in the first one. No. So this has been going on a while. Yeah. So with everything that happened to her, him seeing her in that situation where she almost died... That changes things. Mm. Maybe even for the better in their relationship. But everybody's got to deal with things their own way. Right. So that being said, Annie has to be the strong one. And not that Sheriff Brackett isn't the strong one. Yeah. But he has a different kind of a job. He's right. got the responsibility of the town on him. Yeah. In addition to all this stuff going on. Yeah. So Annie being in that position and having to be that person for so long. Even prior to this incident. She is hardened in a different way to where she can actually deal with this trauma better. And it shows in the mm-hmm. movie that she's dealt with it better yeah. in her own way, at least uh, externally. I, yeah, I was going to say, it's hard to tell because you don't really get a deep dive into Annie's psychology. Right. But she's, you don't know how much she's repressing to enable yeah. to be, or in order to be able to be that person within that family unit. But because of that, and seeing where Laurie came from in the first movie. Yeah. And obvi- they're, they're friends. They're like best yeah. friends in the first one. Yeah. But they're living differently. 
the dynamic, even though they're living in the same kind of house, yeah. in the same town, probably on the same block. Yeah. Lori's got a more picturesque thing. Mm-hmm. She's got the two parents, the nice house, despite the fact that she's adopted. Right. Uh, but that does, I guess, maybe go into that psyche. Yeah. But that being said, Annie's had to be stronger for a longer period of time. So that way, yeah. that's why she's hardened, more yeah. strength, all that stuff. Lori falls apart because yeah. despite, you know, her initial birth right. and her first year in life, yeah. she's had it pretty good, obviously. Seems that way, yeah. Seems that way. So that's why she reacts the way she does. That's why yeah. Annie reacts the way that she does. And I really like that dynamic. Yeah. And once again, Sheriff Brackett and Annie's relationship and having to go through the thing all over again. Yeah. And this time... It's not as good. It doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> the results are way worse. worse. Yeah. And man, I just, you know, your heart go, breaks oh, towards the end of the movie, specifically yeah. for those characters. And I got to hand it. Once again, we talk about how Rob isn't very subtle with his yeah. violence. Yeah. But in this case, I mean, the aftermath of yeah. Annie's death, and I'm just cutting right to it. Yeah. The aftermath of Annie's death is not subtle in any way. No. But how she died. Is completely up to your imagination. And that part is done so well. So that whole arc is really well done. Yeah. Uh, Even even the little things. Like that great filler scene where Annie gets pissed because her dad sends the sheriff over to watch over her. I love that. It's one of my favorites. so good. Yeah. So everything about that whole thing. Pretty much almost everything that takes place in the house in the woods is awesome. Yeah, and there's so few scenes when all three of those characters are actually together in the same room. You see them talking over the phone at times, but, I mean, part of the plot is that they're separated throughout the course of a lot of the movie, and that adds a lot of the tension, because you want them to get back together, and you want them to be okay, and you know they're not going to be. But, yeah, so I think that family, there was like the breakfast, and our our morning time, and then then that dinner scene, the pizza scene. By the way, Rob always has to work his vegan stuff in, in both of these movies, by the way, did you notice that? Both times at the table. Yeah. So there's a chicken abortion line, which apparently is only in the director's cut of the first Halloween, 2007, and then like the whole argument about what's on the pizza. Yeah. So Rob does work that in a little bit. I'm not saying I'm mad at him, I just notice it. Right. Yeah. Because I know know about him, so it's like one of those things I wouldn't know it if I didn't know that's this director. And he takes both sides of it when he brings that stuff in there. It's fun. And maybe he's had those conversations with French friends. It seems like, I listened to commentary on this one as well, and it seems like a lot of what Rob puts into his movies are experiences that he's had or stories that he's been told from friends and things like that and those trickle into his movies and oh yeah like even the ambulance guys like yeah. i feel like that was probably told to him by somebody yeah the the <laughs> plot cow as i call it where at the beginning of the movie the so the beginning of the movie starts with basically the ending of his first halloween Lori is walking down the street mask of blood she's just shot michael somewhere in the head probably but who cares doesn't matter and rob zombie even said as much like yeah he he was shot in the head but you know what who cares doesn't matter like just go with it uh he doesn't explain how michael survived through that but so michael is taken away in the ambulance and there's the two paramedics talking to each other but zombie was saying in the commentary that people kind of got onto him about how they hit a cow in the middle of the road with nothing around it was just there was nothing there the cow's obviously taking its time getting into position you have time here so he said that it happened to a friend of his they 
hit a cow in the middle of the road in the middle of the night. But he was also saying that they didn't have headlights on. So, oh, <laughs> like, okay. yeah, there, there's a reason for that. So I wonder if that was his brother, Spider, who is maybe. the singer for Power Man yeah, 5000. Maybe. He used to drive the bus for White Zombie, yeah. apparently. So oh, really? That's I wonder cool. if that was the case. <laughs> but, yeah, I call it the plot cow because it's just it comes literally out of nowhere in the movie. And it moves the story along, like, there's no reason for it to be there. There's no reason for them to hit it. But that's the only way, or that's the easiest way Rob Zombie could figure out how to get Michael out of the ambulance and starting his journey through fields across yeah. wherever he goes. And here's another positive I'll give it. Those mm. field shots are always good. Yeah, it looks, like you said, it looks really cool. It doesn't look like Haddonfield. No. It looks like Georgia, where they filmed a lot of it, or <laughs> North Carolina, or wherever they filmed it. Yeah, it could be it. Missouri, Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, there could be a lot of places yeah. in that area of the because United States. Because if there hadn't been the Welcome to Haddonfield sign in the movie once, it does <laughs> not look anything like yeah. what we know Haddonfield to be, like a suburban area. It's very yeah. rural. And yeah, was it, wasn't so it Connecticut that they did been, the yeah. the regular town stuff in? Because that looks like a small town, yeah. in New England or that northeast area. Like, I think so. Yeah, even though like every state has multiple towns that has that same kind of town hall circle. Yeah, it's like every yeah. town got built that way. It's just yeah. always every time I see it in the movie, I'm like, yeah, that is yeah. everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. Not just not just here in the south. <laughs> so, but so just real brief over the plot. The plot's really actually pretty simple. This movie, the bulk of it takes place two years after the previous movie. Apparently in the theatrical cut, it's one year. Hmm. But in the director's cut, and they even have lines referencing two years huh. uh, a few times throughout the director's cut. But I don't know I don't know why it was different in the theatrical. It's like, well, they shot it a year after, yeah. but they released it two years yeah. after. <laughs> but Zombie said that it was meant to be two years later, so he was happy to make it that in the second one. Okay. Or in the director's cut, I should say. But... The main thrust of the plot is Lori has post-traumatic, like, she has PTSD, yeah. and she is going through this stuff, but on top of that, we start to see that the madness that Michael Myers has is in the family, in the family unit. It is spread throughout all of them. If his sister Judith had been alive, she'd probably be going insane as well. That's what Rob Zombie said the intention was. Okay. And so it's not just what Michael did that's affecting Lori, it's her mind she's losing her mind because she's predisposed to lose her mind okay huh. and so the main portion of the movie is laurie dealing with that and michael basically stalking across i don't know how far he had to be to take two years to get to her but he does Him and came and yeah <laughs> he's been living like a hobo for two years eating there's a deleted scene where he's eating out of this woman's trash can yeah. and she calls sheriff bracket or she calls the sheriff's department and um he's like a jacked up version of the guy that's eating the crickets and hellraiser yeah 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 he is. <laughs> but it's kind of a silly scene this deleted scene because mm. the woman is watching michael eat out of her trash can and she says she's talking to one of his like deputies yeah. saying that there's this gigantic person eating out of my trash can it looks like bigfoot and so the guy on the phone is like uh, sheriff bracket there's a woman that says bigfoot is eating out of a trash can so that's the report of Michael. It adds to the tragedy because Sheriff Brackett, in the days before Michael arrives at his house, yeah. he could have done something if he wow. had gone to check it out. Wow. But the scene is also weirdly comedic, and so I think that's 
probably why I think it could use it, cut honestly. it out. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's more comedy in this one for sure than yeah, the other one. There's, Even the the stunt casting also adds comedy. You the know? yeah the so hold on for one sure, second. I'll put a I'll pin in that. that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But so the point I was getting to is the main portion of the movie is just kind of following this descent of Lori as she becomes more and more insane yeah. because her meds don't work because she's going nuts and they're probably the wrong medication. Sure. And she starts to drink to medicate herself and Michael all this time is just walking towards Haddonfield or wherever they are now at this point. Yeah. I'm not even sure if they're think, supposed to be living I think they're they're near Haddonfield. Yeah. I think they're just, I mean, obviously with all the walking, yeah. I'm going to give them a couple of towns over. Yeah. I'm going to say it probably is something like that. So it's kind of like a road movie for Michael Myers, and then they finally meet towards the end for the final act yeah. where everything kind of blows up. And that's the only reason he knows how to get to her is because now they share this yeah, psychic connection. that's the only reason because he shows up at places he wouldn't know about. Or wouldn't know that she would be at. Right. Uh, like the party. And he does, he takes a weird path because yeah. he goes to the party, then he goes to the house. He I need a map of all this activity. Yeah. You know, I need like a Grand Theft Auto map. Yeah. So. <laughs> or like the old, the old Friday the 13th video game. Right. Where you see the yeah. Map. <laughs> the map that where you go left and you're actually going right on the map. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was nice and confusing. Oh, yeah. uh, so that's, I just wanted to get the plot out of the way. That's, oh, yeah. that's the entire yeah. plot. That yeah. That's what the movie is. So let's talk about the stunt casting. So in the first one, we we had a problem with it because it was distracting. In this one, I don't have a problem with it because, one, there's a lot less of it. Yeah. Um, Margot Kidder is Laurie's yeah. therapist. She's great in her scenes. There is a lot of layers to just casting her. Yeah. As, I mean, if you're aware of Margot Kidder's journey yeah. in her later years, mm. that is an interesting piece of casting right there. Obviously, I'm sure nothing was said yeah. at the time or on the set or anything, or maybe she made a joke about it even. Who knows? Yeah. But obviously, this is a great tribute to one of the great actresses from one of the great horror films ever. Yeah. One of our favorites, Black Christmas. So it's definitely because she was in Black Christmas more so than being a Superman. Yeah. Although, obviously, I'm sure Rob saw Superman and probably loved it as a yeah, kid. I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, it was. It's nice to see her because nobody's casting her and stuff, yeah. man. So and she was really, really good. Her, yeah, I believed her. Yeah, she and Scout, who plays Lori, had a really good dynamic um, yeah. in that because Lori is just yelling at her. Yeah. As much rage as she has towards Annie, it's yeah. like fivefold against the therapist, and she's just screaming at her at times. Mm-hmm. But Margot Kidder plays it plays it really nice, and she's she looks like she genuinely wants to help. Although yeah. we don't get to see a lot of that character, yeah. she's a good sounding board for how Lori's Lori's degrading state of mind. Yeah, at least they didn't kill her. Yeah, I'll yeah. give it that because you would want to. Most directors and writers would yeah. want to just kill the psychotherapist right. because they think it's paying it off in some way. I'm like, yeah. no, that's not a. Yeah. That's never a good choice. Yeah. Don't do that. Uh, Plus, we need at least one good psychiatrist right. <laughs> right. in this film because we don't have it on the other side of yeah. the person we already know. Yeah. Uh, but le- before I get to that, yeah. before we get to that, right. we got some more stunt casting in here. Yeah, uh, I know one of your favorites. You were waiting for him. Howard Hessman plays her boss at the the book ready or book yeah. record store kind of resale shop. Yeah, like a like a hippie yeah. kind of hipster community uh, yeah. that you see in every one of those kind of towns. Which yeah. I'm fine. I always darken them when I'm when yeah. I'm in town. But yeah, I love Howard Hessman. 
he has nothing to do in this film. He has like two yeah. lines and yeah. then he fucks off to the back, which is what managers do, I guess. Right. <laughs> but there's nothing else there. Like yeah. we're watching a director's cut and he still only has like two lines. Did yeah. he have one in the theatrical? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, that's pretty much all he ever had. There's a deleted scene. It was a blooper thing from a deleted scene. That uh, he shows up one more time, yeah. but it's it's pretty brief. I appreciated the reference to uh, Uncle Meat being a Frank Zappa yeah. album and yeah. he's Uncle Meat. Yeah. So, no, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad Howard got some work. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, anybody out there, here's a free idea for you, Chris. If you ever do a horror movie and you got a few bucks, get John Larroquette. Yeah, for sure. As a nice little call back to another one of the greatest horror films of all time, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Plus, John Larroquette's a good actor. Yeah. So, there's yeah, that definitely. also. He's still, he's still with us, right? He's still I alive. I so, yeah. Gotta hope so. I hope so. Oh, goodness. All right, well... <laughs> Somebody will let me know that. I'll uh, I'll pay that off on the wrap up episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we got some more. We got some more uh, wacky casting. Uh, Chris Hardwick oh, returning. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing: uh, we were complaining about how much Rob uses his friends yeah. in the first Halloween that he did. Mm -hmm. But I like him using Hardwick mm -hmm. because not that most people would even realize that he's in House of a Thousand yeah. Corpses because he's so different. Yeah, he's really overweight and he's got a beard and long hair mm -hmm. and he's wearing a beanie. Yeah. And if you didn't hear that voice, because I remember when we saw that in the theater together, mm. that was driving me crazy. Yeah. I'm like, I know this guy, yeah. but I don't recognize this guy. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, that's the guy from Singled Out? Yeah. Later on, finding that out. Yeah. It's like, holy hell. So now Hardwick's got a different kind of career. Mm -hmm. He's playing the kind of guy that you would see him play on TV now. Right. He does that stuff in his actual jobs yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. So that was fun. I, I yeah. liked... That he called back to that versus maybe just bringing in someone else from Devil's Rejects right. instead. Because you, you don't think about Hardwick being a Rob Zombie guy. Right. But he is. He is, yeah, at this point. Yeah. That's two movies, so he's, he's a Rob Zombie guy now, yeah. Yeah. And another fellow iconic musical artist, a fellow vegan, Weird Al. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> playing the guest that was the first guest on the talk show. Yeah. When Loomis comes on. It was funny because Zombie did kind of go into a little bit about that, the casting of Weird Al. He cast Hardwick because he knows Chris Hardwick and he wanted him in it because he thought it'd be good and he was good in the movie. Yeah. But he knew that he wanted a second guest before Loomis came onto the show, but he didn't have anyone planned for it. And they were getting close to shooting. They were like the the day before or two two or something days before and he didn't have a second guest. Uh -huh. And Chris Hardwick, they were on the phone. He said, well, I had dinner with Al, Weird Al last night and maybe he'd want to do it. And so they just, he, I think Hardwick may have called him or maybe Zombie did. And Al was like, yeah, as long as I can wear my own clothes, like I'll do it. And he flew in and did it and then, then flew out. So that's, that's, that's how that happened. They, they didn't even have anything written, I don't think. They're just do like Ricky Gervais-esque office type uncomfortableness. Yeah. And just go with it. Here's your plot point. Yeah. Go with it. He just kind of got him into a room and they rehearsed a little bit and ad-libbed some stuff and then just shot it and that was it. That's how Weird Al got in the movie. Wow. So that was really cool, I that's, thought. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, I, I can only remember random shots of Weird Al being in films. Yeah. I think he's in every Naked Gun movie. Is like, he? they worked him in for every Naked Gun. That's cool. And, uh, man, I, I can't, I really can't think of anything yeah. else. But he should be in more movies. Yeah. And I can't really, is there any more, like, known, like, big kind of what we'd call stunt casting in the movie? Because I can't really think of anything. Yeah, I, I don't even consider Margot Kidder to be stunt casting, not but really, it is a sh it's yeah. shot casting. I mean, like, it's kind of like, you, you, you would not expect to see her in a movie, especially a theatrically released movie, 
in any time lately. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I can't really yeah. think of anything else. He uses buddies that did the the Captain Cleek band as the guys yeah. that did. If you went really deep like I did on Devil's Rejects, and yeah. you actually have the Banjo and Sullivan CD that they put out yeah. of all the fake music that they were touring the world with, yeah. or at least the country with. Yeah. And those are the guys that did those songs. Okay. So that's this little payback for those guys because cool. they are not on screen in Devil's Rejects. Yeah. They are a voice to a fake band that you didn't even hear him play one note right. in the movie anyway yeah. so they went really deep on that that's, yeah but that's not sun casting i mean because no, those no. are just uh, it's like a nice character little guys that are that are cool yeah and it made uh, sense for a band like that because they're not known so if it was a known band you'd be like man they're not playing a barn yeah right <laughs> so yeah. yeah it makes total sense uh, the only other thing i wouldn't consider sun casting but that i found out that was in something that most people probably know was the bouncer in the strip club, the uh, Rabbit in Red strip club, which makes another appearance in this movie, is the guy, the guy with the mustache, the tall, kind of skinny guy with the big teeth. Yeah. He is the guy that played the caveman in the Geico commercials. from. Like, and he was know. the original caveman, wasn't yeah. he? Like, he was the guy that yeah. started that. I think so, yeah. Oh, that's, and that's so crazy. Zombie was saying that he loved the caveman from the Geico commercials, so when that guy just happened to show up for the casting call, when he found that out, I was like, I want that guy. Because I love I love the caveman. Oh, nice. So that's why he did that. That's and awesome. he shows up in the movie twice. And he's, he's the, the he's the bouncer, but he's also the comedian guy on the makeup oh. in the uh, party it scene. That yeah. makes total sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not but, the same character because right, right. one of those characters gets murdered pretty brutally. But sure. But sure. Yeah. He was also in. Th- was he in Thirty One? Also, he, I think he might have been. Maybe I don't remember. Yeah, I'll have to go check once, that out. Yeah. I've only seen it once, but yeah. I feel like he was that guy that looks like Rob Zombie in Thirty One. Because, <laughs> uh, like I said, there's kind of a Rob Zombie in every Rob right. Zombie movie. But yeah. That, anyway, okay. So moving on. Uh, since we're you know kind of easing into this, mm. uh, I was kind of baiting you a little bit earlier, Chris, All like right. talking about what got worse, and okay. I can tell you, was, in my yeah. opinion, I know what definitely got worse. Yeah, I was leading up to that. Doctor Loomis. Yeah, so, I'm actually. I almost. I hate saying this, but like, it's a good thing that Donald Pleasance isn't around to see what how this character, yeah. this iconic character that he, you know, he didn't create the character, but yeah. he made the character. The way that Rob Zombie bastardized and just threw this character into the garbage. Yeah. Is, is one of my least favorite things in the history of cinema. It yeah. really is. And I'm not even exaggerating. I And Loomis in this movie is so not a part of the movie. He's completely separate from everything. Really, he's only there to provide the plot point of writing the book so that Laurie can find out that she's related to Michael. Yeah. And then he's he shows up at the end, but you don't even really need him at the end. Yeah. And that's it. That's all he does as far as the main story. It would have been better if he was just not in the movie. I I think Loomis yeah, like, should have died at the end of the first one, and he should have just not been in this one. Oh, absolutely. Especially now that we know what happens to the yeah. character. He, when he got his head crushed, quote-unquote, yeah. in the first one, that definitely should have been, yeah. quote-unquote, all she wrote. And someone else could have put that book out. The book could have just come out. Yeah. happenstance like yeah. in the movie and with the mental connection she could have just realized it in a dream yeah like you, there's kind of like in halloween 2 uh, the original halloween too. yeah we'll get to all the connections to sequels <laughs> in a bit because i have a list oh but, awesome yeah. good i like this i can already think of two right but yeah credit to malcolm mcdowell in that the character was written as a complete douche idiot capitalizing on the 
tragedy that he was not necessarily responsible for in the first one, but that he completely capitalized on and just didn't seem to care about anything. Yeah. Malcolm McDowell played that character great, I will say, because sure. as we talked about in the previous one, Malcolm McDowell's acting style is very bombastic and big. And in this movie, he's as big as can possibly be. And he's sure. arrogant, and he's cutting down everyone. He's sexist. He's talking down to all the women. Um, and yeah, so... He's just a despicable character through yeah. and through, and there's no redeeming value. Even when yeah. he decides to ignore Sheriff Brackett in the finale and go into the shack, it feels, again, it feels selfish that he's doing it not for Laurie, but so he can write another book, probably. So, with that being said, Chris, mm. yes. we have officially moved him into the house of the garbage people. Yes. Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Became a garbage person. Malcolm McDowell's Dr. Loomis is a garbage person. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. It's it's contained within... I'm glad that these two movies are just contained within themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's... It's sad, and that's one of the reasons that that I came out of the initial watching of this movie saying that I hated it. It was the horse, and it was Loomis, for the most part. Yeah, we haven't even gotten to the horse yeah. yet. <laughs> I keep well, we'll, we'll it. ride it out on the episode oh, uh, at the on. very end, yeah. right? Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, there's nothing good about the character. So, yeah, I don't really have much more to say about Dr. Loomis, because yeah. the only thing that was kind of fun with him was the talk show scene with uh, Chris Hardwick and Weird Al, yeah. because it kind of put Loomis in his place a little bit, even though... It was the only time. Yeah, even though Loomis didn't really take it as that. He just was frustrated and mad. And you see that scene later on when he's watching the replay of the show in his hotel room. <laughs> and he kind of gets a little sad. But again, it's selfish. It's, and that's, it's what prompted him. that's what prompted him to get out and, and hit the ground again. Yeah, like... because he sees the news footage of Michael... Yeah. Or of reportedly Michael having Laurie yeah. trapped in that shack. It's very convenient. Yeah, it's super convenient. And super convenient that it's he like... was close enough for him to be able to get there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he just changed. I don't remember if he changed the channel yeah. or it broke in. But he was yeah. like, "Fuck this!" Yeah. <laughs> change the channel. Yeah. And then, oh, look at this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Super, super, super. Yeah. Convenient. It's like yeah. First, you know, we started with a kid with a boombox, and then yeah. we we go to action news right. in the modern day. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot of conveniences in this movie. The biggest one being that Michael didn't die in the first one. Super convenient. But <laughs> yeah. if you take certain plot threads out of this movie, I think I would enjoy it as a non-Halloween movie. Sure. Because, as we said, I do enjoy the look of it and the feel of it. And it is disturbing. A lot of the stuff that... I do like Tyler Mayne as a version of Michael Myers. Yeah. I think he's really good at it. Yeah. He could have even played uh, that, you know, the Freddy versus Jason, Jason. Yeah, because he's he's a big fucking guy. Yeah, uh, I mentioned that already, but yeah. And the other thing that makes this really not a Halloween movie, mm. uh, you know, if it hadn't been the sequel to it, right, is like, I mean, this sounds shallow, but the mask, was, the mask is nowhere to be found. That's what I was about to say. We see Michael without his mask throughout most of the movie yeah. or and we just don't see his face at all yeah it's mostly that yeah too. it's because he's got the hood on most of the time and he's hair all over his face you just yeah. kind of see his eyes so he's kind of wearing a mask in a way yeah but and even when he does wear the mask in the scene in the rabbit in red when he kills three people in there 
It's the bouncer on the outside, Big Lou. And Daniel Roebuck, the, who, who played Jay Leno in the Night Shift, uh, or Late Shift movie. Did oh, you ever really? see that? Mm-mm. Yeah, but you can see how he could play Jay Leno. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So every time I see him, I just think yeah. of that movie. So. When he's killing the stripper in The Rabbit in Red, she reaches up and like rips at the mask that's already falling apart anyway. Yeah. So you get that look, I think the most iconic look from this movie it's of the like half mass because michael's half of his face is showing by that point so yeah. and i kind of feel like that was rob zombie saying that he, this isn't really a halloween movie anymore this is just this psycho guy movie so from that point on when he ever he does wear the mask which isn't that often it's mostly michael's face that you see and it's not the white mask anymore yeah which honestly that is a contradiction to the character he built up in the original because he always wore masks yeah that was like the whole thing you just okay i'm done with it now yeah (laughs) okay uh, yeah so it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't track as far as even what he built in the first one but i can understand it from the perspective of someone who didn't really want to make another one and he was trying to just kind of make his own movie within the system possibly yeah and like i don't know because i don't really i haven't read anything where he really talks deeply about rob zombie where he really talks about his thought process of why he did certain things in this movie yeah you say he just explains it almost like a uh production diary yeah the commentary is it doesn't go into hardly any inspiration besides the stuff i said about like his friend had this thing, and that's why I put it in the movie. Sure. Uh, the white horse, he saw a white horse running through a field on the way to work one day. He said, that's cool, I'm going to put that in my movie. That's where that came from. Uh, yeah, we'll get to the white horse in a bit. We keep teasing <laughs> No, 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 it. no. That's, it's, that's a, big, it's a good tease. That's, that's the big payoff. But yeah, as far as anything else, it's just... So I remember this day. On this day, it was cold and rainy, and it was miserable, and we had to do this shot a bunch of times. <laughs> And, okay, this next shot, I remember we were here, and that's all it is. It's not like, when I was trying to make this movie, this is what I envisioned for. It wasn't any of that. Maybe even some sort of revelation, and I could probably give you one here. And whether or not this is intended, he did it. I see a lot of parallels in Laurie's character in this movie, Mm. mirroring what happened to, I forget the name of the character, but his wife Sherry, Mm -hmm. her role in... Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm I'm talking about the character she played in the Lords of Salem. Actually, oh, okay. yeah. uh, it's a parallel to that. Mm. It starts really bad, yeah. and it gets worse yeah. and worse and worse, yeah. and then finally she dies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the, it's the same movie. Like yeah. it's the same character. I feel like maybe he was creating that character in this movie and then just expounded on it in lords of salem honestly like that's the movie he really wanted to make because that's the one he made right after anyway yeah and you can i've only seen lords of salem once and i didn't really care for it so much me too yeah once (laughs) but you can you see a direct line of his at least his creative thoughts in the movies that he makes you can see like where one leads to the next each time so it's it's it seems clear on the screen even if it might not be uh, realistically like behind the scenes white is very clear so the white horse will show you the way chris yes maybe later yes it will we're, we're getting closer and closer to it because i don't know <laughs> that i really have a whole lot more to say i'm good about the movie i yeah i guess let's go ahead and get to the white horse so okay. 
Do you remember exactly what the quote was? The white horse represents... You've seen it four times this week, Chris. You go ahead. <laughs> I, I didn't even read it this last time when I, when I watched it. Something about rage and something internal that you're trying... That represents something internal that you're trying to get out. I mean, I remember the speech from Young Guns 2 with the spirit horse. No, yeah. Like I've seen that movie like 25 sure. times, so yeah. I, can, I, can, I can go with that if you want. <laughs> sure, I don't think so, it's the same. But, yeah. It takes, your, takes you and your soul and yeah. onto the next plane. You yeah. Know? Simple as that. Yeah, but this is a little bit different. It oh, represents okay. something inside. Dang. Well, that's a sequel I'd rather be watching right, right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, By the way, better than the first. Okay, anyway, more on that later. <laughs> yes, maybe, yeah. So the white horse shows up throughout the movie. A little background on this. Uh, I, I said where the actual inspiration came from just now. Rob Zombie saw a white horse and said, cool, yeah. I'm going to do that. He also has an album called Educated Horses. Okay. Fair enough. That's yeah. my contribution to this. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> but he did, he re, had to recast the role of young Michael because he had a flashback or two. And young Michael shows up in Michael's visions throughout the movie. My, young Michael is older Michael's voice throughout the movie because Rob Zombie didn't want adult Michael to speak until the very end of the movie, which he does once. But so that's why he had young Michael in there was the conduit because he had for some reason he thought he had to have Michael speak to his ghostly mother that was in these visions as well Um, most of the time it's either his mother with young Michael or it's his mother with the horse and he sees the vision of Deborah his mother and the white horse at the very beginning of the movie after he murders the two paramedics after the plot cow crash and he kind of walks towards it and it is beckoning him forward and the whole point of the white horse thing, whatever it's supposed to represent, which I don't think really works very well. It's just stylish, Chris. It's, it just looks cool, and that's why it's in there. There's literally like a Duran Duran video from the early 80s yeah. where a horse, this really majestic looking horse, like just starts galloping down the streets of London. Yeah. And they're like, why'd you put that in there? Like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it is. It it's is stylish looking. It's very yeah. fancy looking. Like, that's why. Yeah. But in one of those flashbacks back to the mental hospital, he has to put this into the movie because it wasn't in the first movie. (laughs) That his mother at one point gave him a horse as a gift. Yeah, for like Christmas or something. Yeah, Yeah. and so that's where that comes from in his mind. Okay. Again, you don't have to explain everything like that. It can just be there as a representation of something. It would be for me, even though I don't like it and I wouldn't like it either way, mm-hmm. it's better if you don't put that flashback scene in there. Because I don't need to know that he saw it at one point. It just can be a manifestation of something. Would it have been better, Chris, mm. if you do the flashback with the horse gift giving yeah. and you do that horse mom ghostly shot once instead of like five times? Is it better? It's better because I don't have to see it five times. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think it would have been... I don't know. It's tough to say. Like, maybe right there at the beginning, as soon as he gets out of the ambulance. Like, that's the one, because it's like, here, let us be your guy. And then maybe it shows up at the end when Laurie sees it as a bookend. Yeah, yeah. But... Yeah, um, I didn't need it all that much. (laughs) I don't either. But I'm going to track the horse a bit through here, because (laughs) it's it's important for me to explain why I don't like it, I suppose. But, uh, side note, tangent. In the credits of the first movie... There's all those clips of the family videos, um, the, the like film of young Michael doing stuff. Yeah, there is there are a few clips of young Michael destroying a horse with a baseball bat, the baseball bat that he killed Judith's boyfriend with, ah. and 
Rob Zombie in that commentary does go into what that was and not necessarily that it was supposed to mean anything at that time because um, it's a different horse it's not the same horse that he was gifted in the hospital right because it was more like a pinata type it was it was bigger or, it yeah. was yeah or like one of those ones you ride on with the springs on them it, it but, wasn't quite that big but yeah it was it was about that size sure. maybe for a little baby it could have been right 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 um but it was supposed to be judith's horse uh in that one and that bat that he had was a there was a backstory for everything in that movie. Oh. The aluminum bat that he killed Judith's boyfriend with was a gift from his mother. So the gift that he was given from his mother, he used to destroy the horse owned by Judith that was also a gift from their mother as well. So okay. there's some meaning behind it. Not wow. that you'd get that in the movie. No, not at all. Yeah. I didn't get that at all. Yeah. I didn't so, even make the parallel with the bat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like because, you see a kid with a bat, it's kind of, a, you know, it's general. Because he doesn't say it, even though he, <laughs> he comes up with these ideas. And I know, like, when you're making a movie, yeah, you come up with the backstories for everything. Otherwise... It's even if you don't explain it, it helps to bring continuity to yeah. the different aspects of it. Because if you don't do that, it can just be scattershot all over the place, and it's not going to make sense in your own brain. So it's not going to make sense in the movie. But I think it would have been neat to expound on that a bit and have that bring a little bit into this movie. But yeah. it's not there. I just wanted to tangent that wow. a bit. Well, I learned something. <laughs> At least I learned something right. out of this garbage movie. Okay, so the horse shows up a few times throughout the movie, and initially it's just Michael that sees it, and his mother in these scenes, she's beckoning him forward. She wants Michael to bring the family back together, meaning she wants Michael to go get Lori and make them a family unit again. Since his and mother kill her, basically. Yeah, since his mother is dead, she doesn't say it in the movie, and I don't think Michael understands it like this, necessarily. But to me, when she says she wants them to be a family again, that means in his own brain, because this is all his brain. This isn't a ghost of his mother. This is right. what he thinks his mother is saying to him, even though it's all coming from his own mind. For him, it means that I need to find Lori and to be a family unit with our mother who's dead, we need to die as well. And that yeah. seems to me what his mission is. Yeah. It's almost like a Jim Jones type of storyline they're going yeah. with. Like a, a very smaller... <laughs> type yeah. setting yeah it's it's more low-key right. yeah <laughs> we're gonna do yeah. it in a cabin with no press coverage yeah <laughs> hardly any <laughs> okay so at this point i don't really like it but i'm okay with it as this artistic expression that rob zombie brings into it yeah the the white horse is his grim reaper playing chess yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's okay whatever it's fine we'll go with it and it's not gonna it's not gonna kill the movie for me yeah but when in the first scene where Laurie is shown having her therapy session with Margot Kidder, there's a Rorschach, like an inkblot thing on the wall. Yeah. Clearly there are two horses in there. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. Well, if that's what you see. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's all, it's all, some people would call that horseshit. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel the need to bring it up. Yeah. So I... <laughs> On every viewing of it, even though I know it's going to happen, eyes roll in the back of my head when I see it. Because you don't need to do that. But well, if you roll your eyes that way and you didn't center them again, you can yeah. see the sailboat. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the introduction of the white horse for Lori. Because as we go, Michael keeps having these visions slash dreams. We're not exactly sure. They're mostly visions because he's still doing stuff while this is happening. We don't know how much of it is real and isn't for him in his own brain but as the movie goes on we start there are transitions 
where it goes from seemingly Michael having a dream to Laurie waking up from a dream. And so there's that automatic connection from the editing standpoint between Michael and Laurie because they're having they're seeing the same things apparently um, although it's a slightly unclear that's the insinuation and I have a problem with this because I know the mystical aspect that it has to be because otherwise Laurie would not know what their mother looks like yeah. she was a tiny baby whenever their mother killed herself yeah there is absolutely no way for her to know any of this right um there's the one sequence the last supper thing that oh. dream where you have the the skeleton with the michael myers mask being crucified behind them and laurie is on the table being eaten by these pumpkin-headed king and queen thing yeah it's way off the rails by this point yeah it's like a cross between hey, we're killing the mask off once and for all yeah. and don't come around here no more by Tom Petty. <laughs> it is. And I I can understand if you want to look at it from a realistic perspective that the white horse, Lori might start dreaming about a white horse because she saw it and it yeah. entered her subconscious with the ink blot. Yeah. But to have them have the same dream, there's no way that this can't be some mystical connection between the two. Yeah. And as I said at the beginning of this, I don't I don't like it. And it keeps yeah. going on and on until the final sequence where they keep having these dreams more and more. Yeah. You see them being connected more and more. Or even early on, the first dream, mm. the use of knights in white satin. Yeah. Which is a tie into the mother and the horse. At least I feel like it is because yeah. we were. I, I forgot that it was a dream, yeah. even on the rewatch. Yeah. So I forgot it was a dream. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, that song isn't that long because it plays throughout the entirety yeah. of going through the hospital all the way for her yeah. going through the back into that security office, yeah. and it's still playing. It's playing on all the TVs. So yeah. it's there for a reason, and I think that that's another... It was a tell, so yeah. it, it, it adds this kind of weirdness to it, but then you realize it's a dream. It's like, oh, okay, now I see why. Yeah. But that was that was the super subtle early seed plant of this whole thing. I, yeah. mean, I think it was, at least, unless I'm just overthinking I think so. it. Yeah. Yeah. No. As much of a music guy as Rob is, Unless he's just a big fan of something, and I could tell in the first one, okay, I just like this song. Yeah. But that one was just so blatant, I was like, yeah. this means something. Yeah, because when you were watching it, you were like, this song is not that long. Yeah, it's a long-ass yeah. song, but it ain't that long. <laughs> yeah. Um, so by the end of the movie, Lori has seen so many of these. Her, her mind is pretty much gone. After she finds Annie uh, murdered upstairs, and her new friends... Maya and Harley have already been killed. Although they don't know that Harley's been killed because they never find her sure. in this movie. But Maya, she's definitely she knows done. That, yeah, she's we, gonna be on the list at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but Laurie only knows that Maya was murdered and that Annie, who in the one scene where Laurie kind of feels regret, she is like, "I'm sorry, I was terrible to you." As uh, man, Annie's death sequence is so <sighs> like tragic because she's yeah. still alive when Laurie finds her yep. and she's dying in her arms and it's like yeah. she survived so long you like wanted her to finally pull through it's almost like do you think that I mean who knows like I, I just think right there like if this was real mm. like she would die anyway yeah. with Laurie there but if her dad was there yeah. the same way that he found her yeah. maybe she would have made it 
Maybe. Like it's some sort of mental yeah. thing or yeah. something. Anyway, that's my, that's me getting a little bit deeper than I probably should. About yeah, it. it's deeper than the movie was for sure, <laughs> right? But because I, I got so much out of this relationship, yeah, yeah. that's all. But that's the that's the thing that causes Lori to run away because Michael is in the house and is yeah. chasing her. They yeah. end up in that shack where we know that Lori's already. She's not just dreaming about the mother anymore. She's actually seeing her at times. Yeah, and then in the shack with Michael and Lori, they both see the same thing. It's so, it's this zombie never goes into exactly how this is supposed to work, other than mm. it's in their minds. Like, clearly it's in their minds, because Loomis walks in there and he can't see it. He tells yeah. Lori that there's nothing there, but she's physically being held back by young Michael, and both Michael and Lori are looking in the same thing. Yeah. So clearly, 100%, this is some sort of mystical, uh, psychic connection between the two of them yeah and it has to do like the power got to like full strength inside the shack somehow like once yeah. she crossed that line she just bottomed out completely yeah, yeah. at least that's what it seems like to me yeah and it was i mean that was the whenever she does emerge from the shack there's two different endings but in Ooh, both really yeah in okay. both endings whenever she emerges from the shack the old lori has been killed in that shack and the oh. new lori the one that comes out is different her mind is completely gone by that point. Wow, so it didn't even matter, huh? I kind of like that aspect of it because, I mean, the, the shack is a representation. She goes in there with Michael. In in both ones, Michael comes out first and he dies in both of them. But in whenever Lori emerges, she's not Lori anymore. Oh. She's Angel Myers by that point. Wow. Um, and I like that part of it. Okay. I think that's pretty cool. I don't like the way they got there with looking at the mother and because it doesn't make sense it just doesn't yeah so that's and yeah and then all right let's since i brought up the two different endings the theatrical ending which is the one that i sort of remembered from my initial viewing of it was that they all end up in the shack it is michael he has Lori. he's not trying to kill her initially she's being held back by mental image of young michael well, he's just kind of standing there. I'm not sure what the end game was at that point. Yeah, um, who knows? I assume he was probably going to kill her and then right. maybe kill himself. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I don't think Rob Zombie even knows exactly. But um, the police arrive outside. They surround the shack. Uh, Sheriff Brackett is... He's about to lose it at this point, too, but he's holding it together enough yeah. to, to try to save Lori. Because Lori is the last... He knows that his daughter, Annie, is dead. Lori, he's trying to do everything he can to save Lori, but I think in his own mind he knows that he's not going to be able to. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm trying to think of what his motivation is at this point. Yeah. Just to kill Michael, kill I would Michael. think. Yeah. And do it, and also, here's the other thing, do it by the book, because yeah. the last thing he needs now is to not be the sheriff anymore yeah. after all this. Yeah. Because you can imagine... Well, I couldn't imagine him going back to his job after that night anyway. Yeah, maybe not. But... I don't know. I, just... I don't think he was thinking about that. I think he was thinking, okay. I need to kill this thing that just destroyed everything that I love. Yeah, that's so. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess in real life, he's he's retired, early pension, gonna yeah. go live in a deeper cabin, yeah. way deeper yeah. by a lake, and just fish for right. fish that aren't even there right. for the rest of his days. Because yeah. man, he's been through it. Yeah, felt once again heartbroken for yeah. him and his daughter 
you know, it's almost like I like the movie as much as I like that part, but it's right. just, it's like 10 minutes of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, here. <laughs> I there there are a few different movies within this movie, and I like some of them a lot, and I don't like some of them a lot. Yeah, so it's bad it's, enough to just make it to where I really don't even care if I watch this movie. Yeah, right? and that's, it's it's unfortunate, because there are good a lot of good things yeah. about it, but the bad things outweigh it, I think, a lot of times. Yeah, and it's a, it's a ball spike because it's source material from these other things that yeah. we love so much yeah but but love hurts chris <laughs> yep yeah, so we're building up to that in the shack so loomis shows up as we said he saw it on the news and was close enough to get there by car apparently and <laughs> bracket punches him first in both endings i like he's that like, yeah he's just he's fed up he is yeah. having none of it and he yeah. screams at him he almost shoots him but he he holds back. You don't think he's really going to shoot him, but yeah, he pulls yeah. the gun out. And I think he's Sheriff Brackett's to get him out of there. Yeah, yeah Sheriff Brackett's not like that. He's no. not going to do it. No. But he Loomis decides to against Brackett's orders goes into the shack. And this is where the two endings deviate. And from that point on, they're different. In the theatrical version, Michael or Loomis tries to talk Michael down and he tries to talk Lori up because he sees Lori just kneeling on the ground on her own and kind of thrashing around. Yeah. Because she says she's being held. He says, no, you're not. Like, yeah. you're fine. Just leave. But she won't. Um, in this sequence in the theatrical cut, Michael stabs Loomis a whole bunch of times. Loomis is absolutely murdered in this shack. Like, bloody blood everywhere. Face, body cut up. He's dead at that point. And Sounds satisfying enough. <laughs> yeah. And the cops on the outside, they finally get a shot on Michael through the window they shoot him like once or twice. He falls back against the wall. Lori takes that time to get up. She grabs his giant hunting knife. She stabs Michael a few times. She ends up getting the killing blows on Michael in the shack. Then we cut to the outside and the cops are like, what's happening? Do we go in? Like, they don't know what just happened. They didn't see any of it. So does she walk out with the knife still? She walks deal? out. She has the knife in her hand. She has the mask on her head as she walks out. Oh, come on. Yeah. Really? That's what I saw initially. So oh. you can see why I hated it. Uh, oh she She walks out with the mask. Sheriff Brackett is like, what am I looking at? And she takes the mask off and she kneels down and then it fades out and it she doesn't get shot. She kneels down and it fades out to the sequence that we saw in both cuts oh. of the long hallway. Lori looks up and she sees the horse and her mother. And that's the ending of the theatrical cut. So in that version, you could make the argument that she's not dead. She is absolutely not dead. But in the... that, that sequence at the end is still in her mind, but she did not die in that cut. 100 percent wow yeah all right but, but she clearly but, got hauled away yeah she that is not like i said it's angel myers it's not laurie strode anymore understood yeah in the director's cut that we watched that i think i like better because it's still it's tragic in a different way but i don't wouldn't say it's satisfying because it's not a satisfying ending but it makes more sense with the way the movie was going to me Okay. Is so so that wasn't an alternate ending as it was the ending for the theatrical. That was the original ending. Wow, so yeah. that's the one you saw in the theater. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay, so it clearly when, happened. When I watched it back recently, like earlier today, actually, I remembered seeing Laurie with a mask on. Okay, so uh, I just yeah. wanted to clarify that because I yeah. was very confused. I couldn't now. remember how it ended initially when we watched it together a few days oh, ago. Okay, but because yeah, I've only known the director's. Yeah. Class, so. 
so in the director's cut, the whole thing up to the bracket punches Loomis, yeah. goes into the shack, same thing. Nobody dies in the shack in this one physically. Mentally, right. you can make that argument, which I already have. Because yeah, we have to get that cool crucifix shot from the, from the yeah. up, uprights. <laughs> but when they cut to the outside, because inside it's just Loomis trying to talk him down. We cut yeah. to the outside. Same shot of the cops looking. They don't know what's happening. Yeah. Michael and Loomis end up busting through the wall of the shack. Loomis is killed there. Michael kills Loomis as they're down. And then Michael gets up and he gets shot a hundred times. Yeah. And Michael's dead. And then, well, that, I swear I've seen that before. Right. And, yeah. Oh yeah, part four. Yeah. <laughs> then Lori walks out. She's not wearing the mask. Uh, at this point, Michael doesn't have the mask on anymore. I don't think he's already taken it off by that point. Well, I mean, why not? He yeah. spent most of the movie with that anyway. Yeah. So. Um, but she doesn't have the mask. She goes out and she. What did help me a little bit? She goes out and she picks up his knife, I believe. Yeah, but it's like you know, in brackets, like hold your fire. But then yeah. someone gets, you know itchy trigger finger yeah. and then all of a sudden one shot becomes like three shots yeah. and then she's dead yeah and so she gets shot and then you know, there's that overhead shot of the triangle you've got yeah. like loomis at the bottom michael over here on the left and laurie direct center yeah, it's like a and, family circle yeah. i call it a crucifixing but you know yeah. you can read what you yeah, want yeah because uh, rob zombie was building up the fact that loomis was kind of michael's surrogate dad in a way he filled that role Eh, wow. I guess you can sort of get that. Good Not really, God. though. Because he didn't even feel shit no. like in his yeah. head about this. So. Yeah, but from Michael's perspective, that's that was his argument. Gotcha. I don't buy it, but it's that was his argument. It was a two-for-one deal for yeah. him. So Lori is laying down there. She's been shot like three times at least. Yeah. And Love Hurts is playing again. The same song that was playing that I talked about that I laughed at yeah. in his first one where Michael was sitting on the steps while his mother was stripping. And Love Hurts, again, I think it's a different version, though. Yeah, it's it's like, uh, it sounds like she and him, but it's like some other female singer. Mm. And it's the same one that sang Mr. Sam in the end credits okay. of Halloween 2007. Yeah. So the, the shot overhead, and then that fades into the sequence in the hallway, the white hallway of the non-realistic uh, <laughs> hospital room yeah. where Lori looks up and sees the mother and the horse. And I know you, you knew the right answer, Chris, but yeah. when we were watching this, you're like, is she dead? And I'm like... Yeah, she's dead. Well, yeah, I was I was asking you no, to, to see what you thought because you, I know I know that's why you did that. You can read it in a couple different ways, but the the shots of the hospital are so unrealistic. It's not a hospital. Yeah, that it's like it looks like purgatory, and it, yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, if you believe in those sort of so things. So that was and zombie confirmed that yes, she was dying in those moments, and those were the last things that she saw was the mother and the horse in in the hospital thing. Yeah. So in the director's cut. Lori dies as well, yeah. and I think it's better that way because it's an ending for one, and there's no more. You can't bring them back unless yeah. it's three from hell, and like Loomis and Lori <laughs> and Michael end up like twenty years later they well, survived. Well, How? The, well, yeah, the bullets, the bullet count does read into yeah. the explanation in Three from Hell. Yeah. A little spoiler there, but uh, so let me ask you this, Chris. I'm going to ask you a question. Now okay. that you asked me a question okay. uh, a few hours ago here, <laughs> is so let's say she really is in a mental hospital and this is not a dream. Okay. Hypothetically. Sure. Is that better? That's <laughs> like, oh, I just, I've been in here for two years and that was just my dream. The whole movie was a dream? Yeah. No. <laughs> but does it, <laughs> it's, it kind of deserves it, doesn't it? Yeah. That's, I think <laughs> that would be on par. Well, not, it'd be close to the ending of six where it was just like, get out of here with yeah. your stupid garbage. 
And before we get to the body count, Chris, mm. I would just like to say one more thing. Okay. And that is, it's really interesting to me, and I don't use that word too often. I don't like to, because people overuse it. Interesting? But, but it is, yes. Okay. I don't like when people say it's funny, because usually it's just interesting. Sure. Uh, minimally. Okay. Okay. We've talked about all the callbacks to part one and sometimes even part two and yeah. maybe a little bit in part three we've talked to, we've know. talked about mm. these callbacks and yeah i want to do that mm. i just wanted to mention to the fact that you're gonna like i said i know you have your part two parallels from the original part two yeah but the fact that they went so deep and referencing and probably something maybe rob didn't even see it who the hell knows yeah but the fact that there's a lot of part five in this yeah, there is, is very disturbing to me. Yeah. It's so, like that's your source that you want to know. That's yeah, a bad that, that's movie. That's a problem. <laughs> because I'll just get to my list. It's yes. it, it's a it's not an extensive list, but he said that he didn't well, I don't know if he said it, but it was assumed that this was his own thing and he was deviating so far from any of the source material, yeah. uh, at least the first one, which I think he does. But if it was intentional or not, he did emulate a lot of the sequels of the Halloween series. The first one that is clearly obvious is the hospital. It ends up being a dream sequence, but it's Michael chasing Laurie in a hospital. And I kind of would have enjoyed probably an entire movie, like you said earlier, of Laurie being stalked in the hospital. I think that could have been pretty good. Um, We've seen it before, and I kind of like part two. Yeah. The original part two, sure. but I appreciate the fact that Zombie made it his own thing and did his yeah. own stuff, yeah. even if I don't like all of it. It was a nice rug pull, I will say. I'll, I'll yeah. I got to hand it to him on that. It, and it it was the, that neat way. It was paying tribute to what had come before, but he made it his own thing and said, "Okay, this movie in the original continuity, it was real, and this one, that's just my starting point. And now you don't know what's going to happen." Yeah. And I like that aspect of it. Yeah. The guy, uh-huh. the guy playing the security guard, as uh, the guy, he was in a casino, but he was also the guy in office space that got hit with the truck oh, and yeah. got all that disability money yeah. <laughs> and made the jump to conclusions board. Right. So I like to think that it's the same character, and now he like gains a little bit of a limited ability to walk again. Yeah. So he gets a job as like a you know a night security guy yeah. because. He gets bored. He just right. wants to get out there again. <laughs> oh, the the security guy. You're talking about the guy in the, the shack that, that Laurie finds. So, zombie tangent. Zombie explained that, talking about how everything has like this history to it, yeah. since that was a dream sequence, that was another tell. The guy, his name is Buddy. Later on in the movie, I, I think it's a line that I missed it even this, this third time that I watched it. The teddy bear that Laurie sleeps with is called Buddy Bear. And oh I think God. she says it at one time. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's another yeah, tell that it really was really doesn't... His good stuff is not explained. Yeah. The stuff that could make him look really smart yeah. to other people yeah. is not explained very well. <laughs> uh, go so going, <laughs> going down my uh, emulation list, I'll call it, okay. of, of the previous movies. I like that. So, part three, of course, there wasn't really thing that I could tell that was emulated from that. But part four was touched on a few times. I think we talked the final sequence with all the shooting and the guns. Similar, I mean, it's a big shooting sequence, which almost happened in the first one, too. I think it did happen in theatrical end. But um, he got shot a thousand times by a whole bunch of cops that had shown up at the last minute. Uh, Same thing. But also, there is, in this movie, they didn't even really talk about so much, the rednecks in this movie uh, were similar to the rednecks from part four, 
in that they saw this dude. They're not the exact same thing, right? But it was a group of rednecks that were gonna yeah. go and kill Michael. It was in this movie. It was just kind of a we need more kills, so we need to put this scene in there because yeah. there weren't enough kills in in this section of the movie. Yeah. I think so. That's most of what I got from part four. Part five. There are a lot of connections in that. I believe. One, the mental connection between Michael and Laurie is very, very similar to the mental connection between Michael and Jamie. Uh, most of all, and the reason I say that is not just because of this psychic thing going on, but the fact that Michael had to be aware of where Laurie was mentally, because otherwise, how would he end up at all these locations at the exact right time? Right. And why would he go to the party that she was at? How would he know she was there? <laughs> it was and on then, his way. <laughs> sure. And then he backtracked over to the Bracket House. How would he know where they live? Like, there's no <laughs> sequence anywhere that I could tell where he would know where any of that was, was taking place. You need a goddamn map, Chris. <laughs> so, this can all be explained with one map. Yeah, so <laughs> the... The mental connection from part five is very much in this movie. Also, part five, the party scene, I noticed on this viewing that even though Lori and Maya and Harley, her two work friends, are dressed from Rocky Horror Picture Show, even though I don't think they could legally say that. So Lori is dressed in the uh, maid's outfit from Rocky Horror Picture Show. In part five, Tina is dressed up as a maid when she goes to the party Ooh. out in the woods. So I don't know if that was intentional, but it's very much a connection. Yeah, I dig yeah. it. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Ah. And then jump over part six, because I don't really know. There were no runes. There was Because that was all magic and druids and stuff. I don't really think there was anything <laughs> connecting that. But there is a kind of a... Are you going to say what I think you're going to say? Is it the ritual you know, kind of layout that's going on? Like in the dream? Like at the table? Yeah, I guess you could kind of connect some of that. A little yeah. half point there. Yeah, a little half okay. point there. All right. But uh, my last thing, entry on the list for emulation from previous movies, Part 7, H2O, 20 years later, the main portion of the movie is Laurie dealing with trauma of what happened in the original. Oh. It's, it's handled differently, but it's the exact same thing, I think. We'll see um, that in the next one, too. Yeah, one goes... Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori went in one direction and she grew out of it. It was a lot longer too. Sure. So if Lori had lived in Zombies movie 20 years after, yeah, maybe knows? she would have been different. Yeah. But it it was a movie about trauma in both of them and okay. that's a big connection. Yeah. Also specifics about it, both Lori's were medicating themselves with booze because they couldn't no one understood what had happened, so they had to drink their problems away and that wow. just made things worse. Wow. So I can't believe we just yeah. watched that so recently, right. and that one was completely lost on me. I yeah. guess it, that's I how mean, little I, I was enjoying myself for these. <laughs> I couldn't even give it that credit yeah. to a movie that I like. Yeah, and I I didn't get that at first, but when I started to think about it, like that's the main part of both of those movies is, <laughs> is Laurie dealing with what happened. Wow. Um, I will say one thing before we get to the kill count is that that I kind of skipped over that I thought was a big tell for me about the whole mental connection thing. Even if you don't buy anything I've said about the mental connection between Michael and Lori, and that's how he had to know where she was and how she knew what her mother looked like, the pizza scene. When they are eating pizza and... <laughs> well, Sheriff Brackett is eating pizza and Annie and Lori are not. Uh, Lori's giving him crap about eating rotting animal flesh or something. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. Brad Dorf is really awesome about how he responds to that. Yes. But... 
we see at that same time the rednecks that I had just mentioned, yeah. they have a dog. And yeah. after he kills the three rednecks, funny thing, the dog actually kind of liked Tyler Mayne on set, so they couldn't yeah. get the dog to bark at him. He's, oh. he, Rob Zombie said that was like a pain. Oh. Like the dog barked at him once, oh. and that's what made it and into the it. into the movie. They and the rest it. of the barks are all yeah. laid in because the dog just liked Tyler. Yeah. Um, and the main redneck, the guy driving the truck, was the like one of the uh, crooked like cops and like. Batman Begins. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff, but yeah. I never know his name. Yeah, he's a great character actor because yeah. he's got a great presence too. Yeah, uh, but the dog is Allah. Well, that's another connection. Part one and part yeah. well, specifically part one, but multiple ones. Yeah, four. No, no, five. It's five. Five. No, four. Four and five. Yeah. Yeah. He does kill dogs. Sunday and Max are both killed oh, in yeah. those two movies. Oh, Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> but he kills this dog as well. And he eats it. We yep. see him eating it where it's just explained. Loomis tells the sheriff in the yeah. first movie. I definitely that, prefer the explanation right. versus yeah. kind of seeing it. Because we never see that dog. But in Zombies movie, we <sighs> see him ripping the dog apart and eating it. Yeah. And that's happening. He's He does the parallel cutting to where the dinner scene is happening at the same time as this, yeah. the scene where he's eating the dog. So they're both having dinner. And you didn't even have to know he was eating the dog because you were like, that's film school. He's yeah. eating that dog because yeah. everybody else is eating now too, and that's why they did it. And that's because the redneck scene, the bulk of it happened before the dinner scene, but when he gets the dog, he kills the dog. We see that him, him kill it. So I said out loud to you while we were watching, oh, he's going to eat it now. And the cut immediately to it, even though before he started eating it, was directly to the pizza. Yep. So it's that's a clear indication that he was eating it. I was yep. like, oh, okay. But <laughs> Rob Zombie, not being subtle, had to show us him eating it as well. Yeah. But the point I'm getting to is that Lori gets sick in that scene as we see Michael eating the dog. Right. So that's a clear indication that she's feeling what he's feeling yeah. at those specific times. It's not just a family thing there's actually a direct current connection between the two of them so what he's doing is affecting her in real time well chris it's a at least it's a, a reference to a fun movie the witches of eastwick versus <laughs> referencing something like halloween five which right. really yeah Ugh. it's i mean at least they didn't go into halloween six or h2o at least busta didn't show up and start kicking people yeah for this karate yeah <laughs> Okay. Uh, you want to get to the kill count? Yes, absolutely right. I do. <laughs> All right. So, much like... Do, the... do we have to talk about Annie again? Because yeah, I'm still... we'll get to it. Okay. We, I mean, we've kind of <sighs> said everything we need to say so about her. All right, point. do it quick when you get to it. <laughs> so, much like the previous Rob Zombie movie, there were 20 deaths in this movie. <laughs> Actually... Got me a score of 40. <laughs> there's an asterisk on that, because there's actually oh. more in the director's cut, but it's hard to count them. So I'll get through it. In this one, and I have a lot of asterisks in this one because okay. of the way the movie goes. So I'll just go through it first, and then I'll say as we go, like, what, what isn't a real kill and what is. First paramedic. He was killed by the plot cow in yeah. the car crash at the beginning of the movie. Michael yeah. didn't kill him. That doesn't count for Michael, but it counts for the movie. Yes. Number two, the second paramedic. He survives the plot cow crash. And after Michael gets out of the back, he is murdered with the broken glass. He's, like, stabbed and stuff. We yeah. see that. Number three, Octavia Spencer is in this movie. She yeah. shows up as a she, nurse. She's, in, a, she's an Oscar winner, yeah, isn't she? I think so. She yeah. was good in Ma. 
that came out. Uh, oh. Yeah, it was good. So she's she she's good in horror, yeah. and I guess she's playing Octavia because the other nurse called her Octavia. Yeah, her screen name is credited as, or her character's name is Octavia. Oh, okay, something. that's good to know. So, it's good yeah. that it wasn't a flub. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but she is. I like this kill a lot, actually. Oh, yeah. It was really well done. It is because she's stabbed a bunch, but when Laurie first sees her, we see kind of the side and the back of Octavia. And then when she turns around, she has that gnarly cut along her face. It goes from her nose, like, down through her mouth and through yeah. her cheek. Yeah. And she it, she's in shock, and she doesn't realize what's happening. But when she opens her mouth, blood just comes out instead of words. And you see that fear. She's such a great actress. Yeah. You see that, like, in, like fear, the realization that, oh, my God. And then... Yeah. We knew her when. I, I, yeah. After this, I don't know if she's ever going to come back to horror. <laughs> right. But if she does, you know... And I'm not just saying this to yeah. say it, but put her in a Jordan Peele movie. That'd be the shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so continue. continue. But yeah, and then when she turns around and she sees Michael walk through the door after her, she's just like, I felt scared for her because yeah. she's such a great actress yeah. and the way she reacted to it. And then he gets her down and just stabs her over and over and over in the back. And there's, it's not as bad as the aftermath of the Annie death, but it's, it's, there's blood it's, everywhere. It's the second biggest one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Even that though was, it was a dream. <laughs> yeah. So this, these next three, her and the next two, are all a dream. Yeah. Um, number four is the other nurse. The nurse that we see, not the one that Octavia is talking to. Right. But the one that was asleep in the room with Lori when we first see Lori in the hospital. Yeah. When Lori runs to the stairwell, she is kind of almost, she's got her arms up on one of the barricades and her eyes are gouged out and there's blood everywhere. So that was number four. Uh, we don't see the death, but we see the aftermath. So, asterisk here. when In the director's cut, when Lori goes to that boiler room looking area, yeah. there's a pit that she kind of has to walk across, yeah. to walk across the side of it, and there's a whole bunch of bodies in there. Uh, that's cut from the theatrical version. Well, that would tell me it was a dream. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, that, I don't think that was in the theatrical cut, but in this one, I'm not counting those, yeah. because one, it's not in the other cut, and two, I can't count them because there's too many in there. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll let you know that I had a similar experience in something else later. Here. Okay. Number five, the last of the dream sequence is Buddy, the, the guard in the shack that tries yes. to start the truck. Yes. He is axed in the back. That was kind of a funny scene to listen to Rob Zombie talk about, because apparently in, in that sequence after he kills Buddy with the axe... Uh, Michael starts breaking through the shack walls. That whole shack was built in a parking lot. It was all constructed for the movie. Okay. It was supposed to be balsa wood so that when Michael started breaking it, he could just bust through it. Okay. But apparently that information didn't get to the crew that made it, and it was they built it as a real structure. So Tyler Maine was pissed, and Rob Zombie was too, but Tyler took that as a challenge and so when you see him busting through the walls and the door, he's really busting through, like, constructed walls and things. So that's why you see a whole lot of cuts in there, because he could get through it at one point, but he couldn't, like, one hit wouldn't do it, so they had to cut it together. It's too bad we're not on the Wrestling House show right now, because I'd be going to a whole thing about the Shockmaster, <laughs> right. but I won't. Real quick, mm. that same scene, another parallel to Halloween too. I, I keep forgetting to bring that up. Mm. When Jamie Lee Curtis is hiding in the car in the original part two, mm. it it mirrors that scene where she's hiding under the desk. It does, yeah. With the, with the one person that can save her right yeah. now. Yeah, and the so. one person that maybe could save her maybe brought Michael to them. 
Yeah. Because he may have been able to hide if he hadn't been there. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah. 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 Hey, <laughs> I got one. Swish. <laughs> All right. So we're out of the dream sequence. The next three are the three redneck people. Uh, the two guys actually tried to mess with Michael and yeah. maybe kill him. Who knows? Yeah. But the first redneck was just kind of stabbed, I think. It was hard to tell. Yeah, garbage. Yeah. Number two, the second redneck was impaled on the mini antlers on the on the truck. <laughs> And then the third... Well, that's on him. I mean, you don't have to... <laughs> right. Okay, no, uh, The other the, one's innocent, not a garbage Yeah, the, the third wom- one. the woman didn't want him to do anything, yeah, yeah. and she tried to escape. Apparently, they were running out of time on that, because apparently the nights were short or something. They had, they had trouble with light, like the sun was coming up. Huh. So when you see... It actually works well for the scene. This woman, the redneck woman, is killed. Redneck woman sounds like a song. When she is... Is that a song? <laughs> yes. Uh, Gretchen Wilson. Okay, there we go. When she is getting murdered by Michael, it's just a wide shot in the field. And it works well because it's the end of the scene and it's just a pullback. But apparently Zombie did that because he had other things planned, but they were running out of time. They just had to do it in one shot. There's also Redneck Girl by the Bellamy Brothers. Okay, Okay, sorry, I'm moving on. So that was six, seven, and eight. Number nine is the mustached bouncer that we talked about. I like this death, too. Um, Whenever he goes to take out the trash, Uh he encounters a maskless Michael in the parking lot, and he kind of mouths off to him. The guy's a good actor, because when he kind of bows up to him, but Tyler Mayne is this giant dude. He has to look up at him when he's doing this. Yeah, wrong fight to pick. Just because you're pissed at your yeah. boss, like so, he, and he's kind of he's being a tough guy. And yeah. when he talks to him, he's like, "Don't start anything, or don't give me a reason." I think is what yeah. he says to him. I mean, he is a strip club bouncer, yeah. so that's you can see where the motivation yeah. is there. You know? And so when he takes a step, and then Michael takes a step in front of him, when that reaction that he gave is like, yeah. "Oh," he kind of laughs a little, but you yeah. see that nervousness, like that kind of fear sure. dawning on him. Yeah. That was super good. I yeah. really like that a lot. Yeah. And apparently, the stuntman had told Tyler Maine that just do what you want to do. You're not going to hurt me. And again, Tyler apparently took that as a challenge. <sighs> so that wide shot, when you see him basically choke slamming the bouncer dude, right. that's the stuntman. And apparently the stuntman did not have a good time with that oh. because that whole, like, it's pretty violent when you yeah. see him throw him down. Right. And that was pretty much all real. Yeah. So, well, yeah. and, you know, he wasn't the most successful pro wrestler in real life. So right. that might be the one movie knows. <laughs> yeah. But then after that, after he gets him down on the ground, he stomps on his head numerous times. <laughs> oh, yeah, because like, you can't really make out his face once it's discovered later on yeah. inside the strip just club. Just this massive, gory, like, just a mangled like a, mess. Like a tomato. Yeah. In the deleted scenes, you see it better, but it looks worse because you do see it better. So sure. I like how it looks in the, in the final movie. Uh, number 10 is Big Lou, the owner of the Rabbit in Red. Uh, in another very violent scene, his arm is broken right as he's about to try to have sex with the stripper. And then he kind of stumbles out of the room and Michael follows him and just beats him to death. Uh, slams him up against the wall a few times and just beats him to death. And then the stripper is also beaten to death in a way. She is oh. beaten up against the wall while Man. completely nude. Um, there's that mirror on the wall that is smashed repeatedly as she is smashed into it. Almost kind of similar to Halloween 2, original Halloween 2 with the hot tub where you keep Pull, pulling yeah. her hair back, okay, yeah. breasts, smash. Yeah. Pulling her hair back, breasts, smash. Yeah. I'm building up to the breast count, Chris. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, because it's a big one. And so I'm just doing little asides of what Rob Zombie was saying. Yeah. That apparent, the interesting stuff that he was saying about these things and these scenes. Because apparently when you see the shot of him, of Michael just repeatedly smashing her into the mirror, it's from behind. It's not the actress, obviously. It's yeah. a stunt woman. 
but apparently the stunt woman was actually that was not breakaway glass. She, I mean, it was probably like candy glass or something okay. or mirror. Or whatever. I'm like, did she get cute with him too? I, I don't know about that. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine stunt people are a pretty tough group. Oh, and sure. So they're gonna yeah. try to do as much as they can because a lot of times the only happy stunt person is Zoe Bell, by the way. Right. So move on. <laughs> but a lot of times, I think that they want to do more because a lot of these actors want to do their own stunts. And he was talk- even talking about Scout when she was in the the leg brace thing and with all in the hospital going and falling down the stairs. Scout tried to outdo the stunt person, so a lot of the there's only like one shot of the stunt person in that. Everything else is Scout as she like rolls down these stairs. Sheesh. So I feel like a lot of the stunt people try to outdo the actors in order to keep their shots in the movie. Wow! And he didn't say that, it's but that's th- kind of my yeah, feeling. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like a whole thing. But apparently, she was pretty well beaten up on set in that sequence uh number 12 is wolfie the guy at the party dressed up as the werewolf i like that character he was fun <laughs> he never saw his face either. yeah never saw that has to face. be a first like i don't know any character in the series so far that just got completely killed faceless that you don't know what their face yeah. actually looks like and i just picture seth green because it's about the same height yeah. and he's kind of like that kind of guy kind of yeah. talks that way anyway he's the guy at the party that goes off with harley and it takes it takes her back to his van <laughs> I like the dialogue yeah, about the fact that she's dressed as Frankenfurter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, no, no, you don't really have a penis. Like, right. he initially was like, yeah, I don't care. It's like, well, wait, no, actually, I do care. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a penis? <laughs> and she's kind of stringing him along as well. Sure. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. I like her character a lot, too. I'm the dude dresses the yeah. dude pretending to. Okay. And then when he gets her in the van, he's, he's bragging about, like, I, I take so many girls back here and it's my shagging wagon, whatever. Yeah. And then when, when they get in there and she like actually grabs his hand and puts it on her own breast and he's like yeah that's nice and then he just kind of sits back it's so funny I love it. clearly a virgin yeah <laughs> so it was good but yeah. in one of the lesser excuses to get out of a scene like that to separate people he says he has to go pee before they have sex it's like man there's other ways to do that i know but he had to se- rub zombie had to separate him because yeah. he goes he is stabbed while peeing by a tree um, and then number 13 is, of course, Harley, dressed as Frankenfurter. This was a disturbing one to me. Yeah. Because Harley was just kind of hanging out because Wolfie was taking too long. And she was just like, hurry up, dude. And Michael appears behind her in the window of the van. And Rob Zombie said he actually digitally erased Michael or Tyler from the shot because he wanted Michael to just appear, basically. So when the glass smashes... Uh. He's just there. It, there's no like tension build up. It's just sudden impact. Yeah. So yeah. I think it was a pretty good choice. I liked it. Yeah, it's, it yeah. works. Yeah. So Michael reaches through, opens the door, and just strangles Harley as they're both facing the camera. Yeah. And it was one of those that's as violent as a lot of these things are. I think stuff like that is kind of more disturbing to me a lot of times because you just see her life slip away as this character who had been like the tough girl. She, her character wasn't really developed, yeah. but in everything that we'd seen so far and the few scenes she'd been in... She was the fearless one of the three. Yeah, and yeah. she was the one that wanted to party and have fun, and she yeah. was obviously... Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but to see her switch from kind of fearless to like absolute fear yeah. and just don't realization of what's happening, yeah. it's disturbing. Yeah. Um, and I like that actress a lot, too. I've seen her in a few right. other things. Uh, Angela Trimber, I believe is her name. Uh, she was in the movie Final Girls, which I haven't actually seen yet, but um, it's more recent. But she's done a lot of horror since then. I like her a lot. Okay. The number 14 was the... 
We're just to the 14 out of 20. Yeah. Sorry, I'm taking a lot of detours because I think it's interesting. Uh, number 14 is the shotgun cop that was on guard in front of Annie's house that Annie uh, hilariously uh, talked to yeah. uh, in that sequence. Doesn't and, want to be there anyway, yeah. and then she gets he, she gets talk shit to him. Yeah, because when Sheriff Brackett says, "I need you to," after he realizes that Loomis yeah. wrote that Lori is related to Michael yeah. and he knows stuff's going to go down. Yeah. And, um, and even in that scene, he says, "I need you to go watch Annie. Go to my house." It's like, no, I did this last year. She's, she's I think he said she's going to kick me in the balls or something. <laughs> like, so that whole sequence, I like that. So yeah, that was some of the little bit of levity in the movie was through that and just sidebar on that i think it's it adds to the tragedy of the bracket family that sheriff bracket didn't just go home then and he didn't just wait for Lori at their house yeah he might have ended up getting killed but it's worse for him knowing that he could have gone there and he should have gone there but he didn't and he chose not to yeah so anyway yeah but next up is of course annie we talked about it. Super sad. Move on. Number 16 is Maya, uh, Lori's blonde friend, who goes to the Bracket house with Lori after the party. Yeah. Ew. Wrong yeah. place, wrong time. Yeah. That's all it is. Yep. Number 17 is the Good Samaritan guy that picks up Lori as she's running through the field. He's driving the car. Yeah. I recognize that guy. I know I've seen him in tons of stuff. He's yeah. always a nerdy guy in, in stuff. He looks like the other Bushimi brother a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Maybe he is yeah. one. Of, I don't know. But he is. He gets out of the car at some point uh, when he's trying to get back into the car. I think yeah. Michael grabs him, just throws him through the windshield, and then he dumps the car over the embankment. It seems like it's so drawn out because you know that Michael's in the vicinity yeah. at that point. And yeah. You're just like, oh, he's taking so much time, and that's yeah. one of the few times where there is tension because yeah. she's screaming at him, "Let's go!" You know that yeah. Michael's stalking her through the woods at that point. That's what makes the original original so great. Is yeah, take as long as you need to. Or yeah. want to. Yeah. And then number 18, 19, and 20, Loomis, Michael, and Lori. We already talked about how they all died. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. Um, so that's the director's cut. There's one less, of course, in the yeah. theatrical. Also, I'm going to say director's cut here, and I'm going to do this to the best of my accuracy, Chris. <laughs> right. Eight breasts. I think that's what you counted. Yeah. Most it, of them were in the party, or at least yeah, half of them were. That's the thing. You've got these go go dancers at yeah. the top. There's at least two there. I counted, I think I counted. Yeah, the the three girls probably I think, okay. and then there's the, the stripper. stripper. Yeah, so I'm gonna go with eight. Okay. I really try because one was out in the crowd, two were on stage. I'm going with that. Okay. Do you need I, to do more research? Get back to no, us. No, I never want to watch this movie again, Chris. <laughs> can right. we get out of here? We can get out of here. That's that's all I gotta say. It's I can't wait to like put a new coat of paint on this whole thing. Yeah. This is really what I've been waiting for. Really? Uh, okay. And yeah. I'll just build up a little bit. We're I know we're long tonight, but. The fact that we saw the new Halloween that we're going to review on the next episode, the one from 2018, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it since, because I knew we were going to do this, yeah. so I've been savoring it, I've been waiting for it, so this is my ultimate payoff, so all this bullshit, yeah. <laughs> and I'll say this again probably, but yeah. it's, I feel like it's going to be worth it. Yeah, I saw it twice in theaters, but I hadn't seen it since it was in theaters. So, gotcha. yeah. All right. and, yeah. so how can we hear that, Chris? You can hear that by going to cnjradio.com. For all of these episodes of The Last Theaters, Halloween Retrospective, and everything else, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everything else, go to at The Last Theater on Twitter and interact with us. Let us know what you think about everything. Give us a follow if you want. I post send your own rankings. Sometimes. Yeah, send, send your own rankings. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is Joey right on the breast count in Halloween 2? <laughs> if you happen to watch it, keep track because that's one of the fun things to do in this movie that 
half the time isn't a whole lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> listen to us instead, especially on this one. Right. All right. Bye. Love Andy, are you seriously planning on standing out here all night? This is ridiculous. Hey, Annie, I just do what the boss tells me. Well, I'm the boss of the boss, and I say move your shitbox over there, Kojak, okay? <laughs> Don't make a federal case out of it. Turn off the goddamn gumballs. I'll do what I gotta do. <laughs> what the fuck are you gonna do, jackhole? You'll find out. Oh, oh, I'll find out? Oh, I'm shaking in my boots. I'm in my boots.